Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. We're delighted to say this week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Brewing Folk. Brewing Folk celebrates all the people who visit Verdant Brewing Co. and its taproom. White Rabbit will be collaborating with Verdant this year, and we can highly recommend their beers. Find out more at brewingfolk.co or order yourself something to drink from verdantbrewing.co. My book recommendation this week is a White Rabbit book, which I first found out about in December 2019. An editor called with a job for me the next afternoon. Could you interview Mark Lanigan about his first book, Jude? It's called Sing Backwards and Weep. Uh, how the hell can I do this in 24 hours, I said, but I had interviewed Mark a few years previously about his friendship with Anthony Bourdain, and I'd thought a lot about that call ever since. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. I got the PDF emailed across, read it through the night and into the next day on the train. And what I read there was quite an insane story, really, full of deprivation, bleakness, really intense sadness, but there was also a warmth in the writing that I couldn't shake off. Uh, Mark was a tough interview that next afternoon. So many times I wanted to stop writing the book, but I had an obligation, Mark said to me, to Anthony Bourdain, who'd encouraged him to write it, and to an advance that Mark couldn't pay back. There were many tough stories about his drug abuse and very sad passages about his friendship with Kurt Cobain. And he also wrote beautifully about getting into Nick Drake, Leonard Cohen and Tim Hardin. And hilariously, he included his encounter with bothersome mosquito Liam Gallagher when he was on tour with Screaming Trees. I did a follow-up interview with Mark a few weeks later where he was in a much better frame of mind and he later apologised to me publicly on Twitter about that, which I wasn't expecting and just still stays with me. And we kept in touch for a while. I loved that this man, his public persona was so intimidating, was so collaborative, creative and curious. And he was living a life he was clearly enjoying and that was coming across in his writing. It's very sad that he's no longer with us, but do read him as his words really crackle with life. Welcome to Songbook, the White Rabbit podcast about books about music. I'm your host, Jude Rogers, author of The Sound of Being Human, How Music Shapes Our Lives. My guest today is a White Rabbit author and musician who I first heard about when my friend John Doran, the brilliant editor of The Quietest, started banging on about this band. I used to use a desk in the corner of The Quietest's really chaotic North London office. I'd be trying to rattle words out in the corner against the soundtrack of what was usually noise or black metal. Um, and I still remember John's first piece about the Fat White family. So I dug it out while getting ready for this episode. John wrote, They sound like a mix of Bongwater, Charles Manson, Butthole Surfers Around a Campfire, the most smacked out and slowest birthday party and cramps numbers. And someone on Twitter said that one of them had ridden a donkey into a pub. John and so many more people were sold. My guest has released three albums so far with that band and more music with the moon landings with his bandmate Soul and Eccentronic Research Council's Adrian Flanagan and Dean Honer. He also has another band, Decius, 
He's also a great, raw, often very funny writer. I encourage you to dig out his pieces for the social gathering over the COVID lockdowns and his account supporting Oasis at Nebworth for the quietest in 2021. Um, he was wearing famously a pair of flesh-coloured spanks. I do feel like I slid into this life by mistake, he writes in that piece. But I might have been a lawyer, a politician, a scholar, but this whole thing should never have happened. I should be doing something that doesn't destroy my bowels. His 2022 book with Adele Stripe, my guest on episodes eight of the first season of Songbook, if you want to listen back, is just out in paperback. 10,000 Apologies, Fat Wife Family and the Miracle of Failure. My guest today is Lias Saudi. How are you, Lias? Where are you? I am very well. I am in Putney, uh, in the third or in the second floor of my producer's house, and I've, I've just taken an hour out of uh, finishing touches on the fourth record. What I hope will be the finishing touches, you know. Uh, what I hope and pray will be the finishing <laughs> touches. It's like it, it gets uh, heavier and heavier the longer you carry it, you know. Um, it's just like uh, that 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 stage now where it's kind of like. Uh, I don't know, like all the initial enthusiasm is gone, you know, it's very <laughs> difficult to keep the momentum, you know, it's very hard to kind of, because like, you're so far away from the bit, which is, you're still so far away from the bit, which is kind of like the reward, you know, yeah. which is, which is like actually getting out, out, out to play and uh, play music for people, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. So I'm in Putney. I'm kind of at work, as it were. Yeah. How do you envisage getting out of where you are now? Is it uh, just a uh, survival at this point? Uh, I think it's it's a mixture of compromise and no compromise. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's kind of it's kind of like we, I've I've been I've been in a creative dispute with my little brother for the last uh, six days. We have very kind of not violent, but it gets very extreme very very quickly. You know, I think. If anybody's out there and they want to, you know, they want to do a group or whatever, just to, just much as I love my brother, just just don't do it with your brother. Don't do it with family, you know. For family and family and animals, is that what they still don't work with family and animals? Is that right? Or is it yeah, like children, ch- children and animals? and animals. I guess you know you, you knew them as a but child, think, right? So, <laughs> but I think I think I think family sort of they remain children, don't they? You know what I mean? They don't. Yeah. I think if you've grown up with someone, they they never stop really being, especially your little brother. Yeah. And I think that's maybe uh a source of the uh the agony you know <laughs> because we're both we're, we're not kids anymore but our relationship uh, hasn't really changed all that much you yeah. know uh, a bit yeah. <laughs> yeah you get that kind of like you got you yeah, i think with family you can go to that place which is which is you know i mean the love is so pure but then the fucking loathing is, is pure as well do you know what i mean like it's in tense you know like we have these fallings out over things with with the record and and you it's the kind of loading you think will never go away you know you're like no this this resentment is is permanent you know this is this is this is forever now you know it's so thick you know so tangible but uh but it doesn't it never does you know what i mean but uh i've just been coming out of one of them so i'm a little bit not on edge, but a little <laughs> bit ang- anxious. I've had an anxious few days. Oh goodness! So you, we've we've taken you out for an hour to talk about books. So hopefully that'll be a little bit of a diversion for you. Can I ask um, before we get into yeah. more music stuff with the book um, about writing? You know, you're obviously somebody who yeah. enjoys writing. I said, well, do you enjoy do, do writers actually enjoy writing? I think sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. When did you start writing? 
I started writing. Uh, I I didn't I didn't write an essay or anything like that from when I was eighteen and I did my A levels until just before the pandemic. I lived in Paris for for the spring, like the final spring before everything shut down, and I'd kind of started to cultivate this idea. It was around the time I met Adele of like of like writing, mm. you know like proper writing. But it's one of those things where I think, I don't know, you see people playing bands and shit pubs. You're like, well, I'll do a band. You know what I mean? Like everybody draws, everybody, but writing somehow feels like it belongs to like the elect, mm. you know? I think if you love books, the books you're exposed to tend to be like the canon, you know, like the best books ever written pretty much. Like it's only in the last few years I've really started reading contemporary literature at all really i was just plowing through like all the names you know so your reference point is like this kind of like immaculate kind of collection of authors you know so it's kind of like well why where where would you even start you know mm. like the years of kind of like you'd have to embarrass yourself for so long before you even got anywhere it just doesn't doesn't feel worth it you know but then, uh, then Adele started kind of like scratching around and kind of giving me a little, little, a little, a little, a little nudge. And she'd send me like some, some but I remember she sent me Eddie Lemon of, uh, stuff that was maybe like would resonate and isn't like up on that level, but it's like really fun, you know? And I think it was, yeah, I was sort of, I was sort of like wandering around Paris in that most kind of pretentious kind of, you know, considering writing, you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like uh, the the worst kind of like boho cliche kind of thing. But I wrote an essay then about, uh, I used to live out in China, you know? So I started writing this stuff about my brother and living out in China and all that entailed. And that was about the beginning of it. And uh, and then the pandemic, that was really the, the, the beginning, you know? You know, the, the pandemic happened and that really got rid of the drinking, you know? And the socializing, you know, I think I think I'm more of a social drinker, drugger or whatever. But I think that was really the the, the, the best thing that could possibly have happened with that regards for me, you know. Yeah. Because it was just endless, endless time and no distraction, you know. And I think in that time, I kind of decided that it was something that I, I think it meant as much to me as music, maybe more, you know. I think I'd always kind of harbored a sort of secret desire to do it. I think a lot of people are like that with writing, you know. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. You know, it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't feel like ooh. You know what I mean? Like it's such a kind of. It is sort of the most self-indulgent thing. Yeah, and it feels do, sort of. Know? It feels sort of out of bounds in a way. You know, I say that as somebody who's been a journalist for god twenty years this year. But you know, the idea of writing a book or writing something that isn't, you know, with me bits of journalism for you know bits of money to go towards bills was just like no, you can't do that. That's something that's uh, yeah, as you say, for the elect. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's but, absurd, yeah, and it's like you know everybody's gonna sit because it's a time-based medium, you know, like in the extreme, like mm. you know you can't really, you can't just wash it down, you know, you have to spend so much fucking time, like you're demanding that somebody sit down with you and listen to your <laughs> inner monologue for for six hours, you know, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. Even like a, even the most indulgent film directors, they don't expect you to go beyond two and a half, you know. But it's like, I'm going to write this debut book about all the shit I've been doing and it's going to take you fucking all day to read it. You know, <laughs> like just on a purely practical level, it's kind of out of order, you know? Yeah. So tell me about how, um, you know, you it, 
Tell me about how it worked with Adele. Obviously, we've got her side of the story on another episode of this series, so you have to check that out to see if you know they tally. <laughs> but um, how did yeah. it work for you doing it? You know, I know there were lots of phone calls and um, you know, lots of kind of conversations. But obviously, the book is not a straight story of the band. Not that you could ever have a straight story of the Fat White Family. Really, you've got some quite bold characters there to play with. <laughs> I think the way it worked was, like you say, it was um, it was pure purely on the phone because it was like the pandemic. You know, we had this big plan to go to Algeria and all this kind of stuff, and then it was just all completely off. You know, and I was kind of going through all kinds of shit at that time. You know, but it was like having this kind of confidant, but she was also kind of like harvesting information. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like so she was really quite good at that. You know, she has great uh, kind of tone. You know. She's good at the telephone, Adele, <laughs> I think. She's very good at the telephone. Uh, <laughs> but it was kind of like, you you know, you just kind of pour, you're pouring everything into this. It's kind of a new relationship we had, you know. And um, and it was nice. It, was, it felt like a two-way street, you know. But uh, the initial kind of jolt, I think, was just like realizing for me that you could kind of, that, that everything was basically writing, just waiting to be, to be mined. And I think that was one thing she kind of encouraged, you know, because I don't think until you start to consider it, you know, like some beef you've just had with your old man or whatever, it's just some beef. You, know, you don't think, oh, I should be taking notes or anything because who the fuck cares, you know? So it's very much encouraging me to just sort of get these things down. And then I'd ping them across. And she was a good, uh, a good editor as well, you know? And with the neutral zone things, she would always have like, Nah, you need one more paragraph or or something, and it was always really kind of nuanced kind of recommendations, you know. So it was kind of like a, a mentorship, and then I think gradually as the as the, we got into like the second year of it, and I start to feel a bit more like competent, you know. Then then a little bit of resentment crept in, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because she. She'd done a job then, she'd mentored me, and then I was kind of like, we'd sit there and, you know, I don't think we ever really had an argument doing it. I don't think so. I think uh, every now and then it got a little bit tense, you know? We sit and go through these sections, you know, because she did like 150,000 words at first. Yeah. I think that's the length of it. And we boiled it down to 100,000. So there was a lot of like just sweeping through it and chopping out and chopping out, you know? But it can be a really uncomfortable kind of thing, you know what I mean? If there's something tonally that registers with one of you that just doesn't register with the... Mm. I mean, I'm having the, exact, I'm having the exact same problem with my little brother. And you can try and explain it a million different ways, you know? But at the end of the day, they're seeing something different to what you see, you know? Mm. And that can be hard to, to bridge that, that gap, you know? So towards the end, when it was really, you know, when a project, when you're into that sort of like the bitter final third, you know? Yeah when all the initial love and it's going to be amazing and there's so much potential, you know, and you kind of know what you've got on the table, you know, but you're still, there's all this work to do before you can, before you can be free of it. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing you just want, you just want freedom, you know, <laughs> and you're, you're sitting there and it's like, uh, you've got to go through each other first. Like, I mean, I mean, it was, it was really, really collaborative. Like it, it wasn't going to be that kind of a, the initial process, I was going to be on tour in Asia and Australia and all this kind of stuff. And and that just fucking completely fell apart, obviously, because of the pandemic. But initially, it was like, oh, I'll send you the odd paragraph mm. from the road or whatever, you know. 
but then it became such a big kind of it became like the main project in my life and now i really just want to keep keep writing you know now i'm kind of trying to finish this album like really agitatedly uh, so i can so i can go and write uh finish writing the next book you know uh, because it's just kind of i feel, I feel like it's good for my brain mm. you know so what are you writing now I think I'm going to I think I'm going to write about just from that period the pandemic on, onwards you know I just think it was such a kind of pivotal kind of a time for 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 me and for so many things I guess you know like the way my world has kind of altered since that you know mm-hmm. uh I don't know there's, there's a lot of funny shit that's happened since then and I think I'm going to keep plowing the kind of narcissistic kind of like just I think there's more personal stuff to just dig and dig out you know um before i attempt anything maybe more convoluted or abstracted or whatever you know like i've been doing those journal things during the pandemic and doing a lot of journaling recently and, and essays and stuff like that i mm-hmm. guess like a big collection of essays that hopefully read kind of like uh like a narrative you know well, that quietus Basically. the quietus what i mentioned earlier on you know i i mentioned that because of that li- the link to Mark Lanigan's experiences with um with Liam mm. as well, but um that was such a funny piece of writing, you know. And but you know, yeah. I just, I just love the fact you know it started with your man being backstage with you, and it went from there. You know, you know, I think my world is peopled enough with really bizarre kind of uh, entities, you know, and like uh, just like there's a lot of contrast, a lot of extreme mm. contrast. I think I think if you're in music and that kind of thing, like rock and roll, you end up living like. Like what you consider normal is just so far removed from everybody's conception of normal that I don't think the pressure to fictionalize and make things like more fruity than they already are isn't really there. I think uh, it's kind of just go through things and then write them down and then throw in a bit of spice, like that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But there's a bunch of shit I really want to write about, you know? Um, like a... Purple Mountains, Dave, David Berman. I want to write about David Berman, you know? Oh, great. Like, uh, yeah, that's a great stuff like that. Just there's a, there's a few specific people I want to kind of hit up, yeah. but I want to keep it kind of narrativized, you know, yeah. I think. Oh, fantastic. I look forward to reading it. When do you, you know, when the album is done, whenever that will be, obviously. <laughs> um, when the album is done, yeah. Yeah, when the album is done and you need to lie in a dark room for about six weeks, the flannel over your head. Anyway, um, so next, yeah. before we talk about today's book, I'm going to ask you the three questions I ask every guest. So who was the first music yeah. act that you loved? I say music act, band, uh, artist, whatever. I think it's a tricky question because it, it, it's kind of like, it's, it's grades, you know? There's grades of, of different love, you know what I mean? It's kind of like the initial spark, the first thing I remember musically was uh, probably Michael Jackson, you know? It would have been the, it would have been the early nineties, you know. I would have been about five years old. And so Michael Jackson was the first towering kind of figure. I remember me and my brothers. That was the kind of uh, that was the initial thing, you know. And that kind of fade that faded and gave way to a to a Blur and Britpop and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then that faded and gave way to Bob Dylan, and that's just basically been it ever since, you know. Sadly. Have you seen him recently, Dylan? Did you see the recent gigs? I saw, yeah, I did. I saw him at the Palladium. And it was one of those things that was like, uh, I can't, I was really conscious of the fact that I couldn't quite make more of this, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? 
You know, and you've been looking forward to something so much and it's kind of like, this is going to be over soon. It's like the only thing you can think, you know, I, I couldn't relax enough to, to, to respond properly. I mean, I was, I was like weeping. It was like so beautiful and everything. It was such an amazing show. I, 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 I saw him 20 years ago. Okay. It must be 20 years ago with my girlfriend in uh, Northern Ireland <laughs> yeah. when I was 16 and I thought it was fucking diabolical, you know? Like I thought it was, I thought it was terrible. I was like, "What the fuck is this shit?" You know, and he's like mangling all of his tunes, and but it's in a little sit-down theater. That was uh, that was incredible. But yeah, I had that kind of overbearing, like kind of like, how do I kind of mm. hold on to this? So, you know? Yeah, and then and it was gone. When they, you know? you know, you ran out of time with him. I remember seeing I saw Leonard Cohen in Royal Arbor Hall, and it was like he's so old, and he's probably going to die next week, and he can't stop singing. So it was just then. Um, yeah, yeah, it's the end of an era, you know, mm. so that you can't really experience it like a, like a, just a gig, the stature of it somehow mm, yeah. is kind of over, overbearing, you know. Mm. How about the first music writer you loved? Did you read music magazines? Uh, did I read music magazines? Uh, I think I must have gotten the odd. I was more, no, I, I was more into film. I used to buy like, film like like empire and shit like mm. that you know um like i was never really one big one for 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 music magazines no i was never really a big reader of music books you know i think like i read a few of the a few uh, i've read a few of the key biographies and that you know shane mcgowan or marky smith or whatever but i i think the first book that i was like wow this is like amazing was uh was Graham marcus i think when i was at college stick chasing yeah. Yeah, you know, because that really t- it tied everything together for me. You know, mm. like what I was doing, like looking at situationist art and stuff like that, and being kind of like disgruntled eighteen-year-old, fresh in London, skin angry, wanting to cause a ruckus. You know, and this, so this is when you, like, this is when you were at the Slade School of Art, obviously. Yeah, this is when I was at Slade School yeah. of Art. You know what I mean? I hadn't, I hadn't. You know, the chip on the shoulder. You know, <laughs> was was wasn't the chip you see before you today this little small chip it was a it was the biggest chip imaginable you know <laughs> and, and, and and grail he, he he went some way to alleviating that you know um but yeah i really i really loved his his stuff i think that and uh dead elvis i really loved you know oh yeah dead elvis is just kind of like dense you know Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. So it was more kind of getting into, you know, particular books and particular writers. Okay, so I'll, we'll go on to today's books, which is Hellfire, the Jerry Lee Lewis story by Nick Tosh. This was originally published in 1982. Incredibly, it's out of print now, which is insane. So I've had to read this on an ebook on my phone, <laughs> which is quite weird. Yeah. Um, what is- What's what's the deal with if that? If you just look it up, it just the there are pages and pages of Google kind of just talking about how it's you know the greatest uh, rock right. and roll yeah. biography ever. So here's some examples. Okay, the finest book ever written about a rock and roll performer, 
last Graham Marcus again. The best rock and roll biography ever written, Newsday and Rolling Stone. Probably the best, certainly the most readable account of a rock performer's life, Sean O'Hagan at The Guardian. He was number one in The Guardian's best 50 books about music about 15 years ago. Um, it's a story yeah. about a man who, this is the, I love the blurb on the ebook I've got. It's about a man whose soul was pitched between the threats of the Holy Ghost and the charms of the devil. Um, and in, you know, the blurb, you almost want to, you know, say it in a sort of Iggy pop gravelly voice. Not, I'm going to do that, obviously. Um, even the most imaginative novelist could not have done justice to his tempestuous life. Out of the Manichaean deep south, he came trailing his reputation as a teenage hellraiser raised on the Old Testament, hell-bent on godless self-destruction. Tosh, who knows a thing or two about self-destruction, upped his style to meet the challenge head-on, and his book has a momentum and mythic quality rare in rock writing. So there we are. You know, that sets it up, doesn't it? Uh, Lias, how did you come across this book? Uh, how did I come across Hellfire? Was that an Adele recommendation? It might have been an Adele recommendation. I'm not sure. It was either an Adele recommendation or a Matthew Johnson who runs Fat Possum recommendation. Right. It was one of those two. I'm pretty sure, you know. Let's go with Adele. I think it was Adele. I think this was part of the, the maybe part of the research for doing the book, you know. Uh, it was just one of those things you had to read, you know. And like I say, I don't re- read many music books, but it's not really it's kind of a lot more than that. Like, I don't really care about... Uh, jerry lee lewis's music so much you know Mm. like i'm not like a massive jerry lee fan like i love elvis you know it's not like i'm not into old rock and roll but it's just not it's not all that is it jerry lee i don't think personally i mean is that like a real sin to say that no not at all you know it's uh what it does have is like lots of lots of detail about kind of you know where somebody like him came from so you know and this starts like you know 18th century we're into the you know founding fathers of america at the beginning of it and all the, he's, I think, it's from this line of you know wild guys basically i think it's yeah it's that kind of like mad primordial kind of murk that he that he kind of swaggers out of you know like when they're all speaking tongues at church and all that kind of stuff you know it's kind of like i guess it's a really similar background to, to elvis's background but it's funny, he was kind of more kind of like hell-bent on destruction, but he just he fucking lived forever. He only died like a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, no, it's, that's insane, isn't it? It's weird that, it's weird that, isn't it? You know, he really took it to the fucking hilt, that guy. Like, yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of like a... It's, 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 I think it's difficult to lend something like, like that, a kind of that the religious overtones. That, that you do get with Nick Tosh, it, it, it could so easily go wrong. It could so easily just stumble into pure hyperbole, you know. Like I think people try that a lot with like rock stuff and whatever. Like got you know gone in for like sheer monument, you mm. know. But it just feels absolutely kind of succinct and 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 like uh, appropriate with this story, doesn't it? Yeah. You know the the chapter title is just you know you from the beginning you know you're in. A book that, as you say, could go one way or another. Um, here are some of the chapter titles. Um, the Devil in Concordia Parish, um, Beholder Shaking, Golgotha, and that's where Jesus, you know, was uh, crucified. Mammon. Yeah, so it's kind of about yeah. what happens when, you know, the biblical riches, you know, can, you know, make it all go horribly wrong, you know, how money destroys people. Um, in the um, Grail Marcus preface to the version I've got, um, he talks about the book being like an example of a sermon. You know, it's sort of, sermonizing about his life and 
you know, the, the, yeah. the, these things that are coming, um, you know, they're kind of creeping up that could, uh, you know, derail the whole, his, you know, his whole life. And, you know, his life is derailed. He does derail it actively, you know, kind of, you know, on many yeah. occasions. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's kind of the whole point with him you know it's not, it just gets it gets better and better kind of the, the, the more the more derail, derailment goes down you know but i think i think yeah when it's when you talk about like sermonizing yeah that's the thing the language is very much like that you know like it talks about him getting up on stage you know he would he would go there you know it's that kind of thing and the uh the endless pills and and the whiskey especially when he gets when he gets done after he's like married his cousin on the sly and gone to England, you know, mm. and he has to sort of start all over again, mm. you know, when he's kind of like completely scandalized himself, like beyond reprieve. And he's playing at these places with like chicken, chicken wire, you know, like just driving around on speed, like around America, just playing toilet venues, you know. Tell me about the, you know, so this scandal, you know, I, you know, obviously the scandal attracts you as a reader, you know, the arrest, the shootings, the marriage you've already mentioned. I read this, I read this morning that his, uh, that wife, Myra, is a now successful estate agent in the US, <laughs> which is not what I expected to yeah, read. Yeah. She's like, um, she's in her seventies and, uh, you know, still, still with us. But, um, you know, you and, you know, you and your band are known for, you know, doing these very full on, you know, very charismatic, but provocative performances but you know they're not they're not easy you know what pushes you to you know be inspired by people like you know him and his life i i mean i i guess that's kind of like uh i, I it, it seems unimaginable to me now that i'm like 36 and kind of like i'm already sick of that kind of carry on i'm already like no i can't fucking like i can't hack that you know what i mean like i couldn't go and play like I couldn't go and just take a load of speed and play every toilet venue in America just to get like back to some credible kind of, but there was something in uh, like nascent rock and roll that had, I think it had, it still had all of its life force. You know, I think like what we inhabit now is like a kind of like sad kind of aftermath, you know, I think it's dead. Like as a medium, I think it's run its course. I don't think the culture like, uh, can support it or wants to support it i think the old idea of rock and roll is kind of like uh has bitten the dust maybe that's for better or for worse you know but i think in, in the time of jerry lee then it did have kind of like the proportions were huge you know mm. like the capacity of the thing was huge it still had all of those minds left to sort of break you know mm. it still had all of its like potential you know uh now I think it's a spent force. So I think when you read back over that kind of a thing, like from now, you know, where it's like, wait a minute, he got done and then uh, he went from being like Elvis and it's just playing like the windmill for for, for for like years. Like, no, I couldn't fucking hack it. You know what I mean? Like you just do something else with your life. But I guess back then with the music, yeah, like the religiosity of it was still there. You know, it was still like a divine thing. And it was, yeah, it was still kind of like, giving birth to itself you know mm. and i think if you're one of the original kind of progenitors then yeah i guess you just have that life life force you know i definitely felt like that earlier earlier on like 12 12 15 years ago you know i felt like ah, yeah you can just power power through you know it does have that kind of uh 
kind of of an effect i guess on your brain once you get attached to it you know Mm. that kind of thing of being like the focal point and uh kind of channel the energy in the room or whatever and it's such a kind of uh extreme sensual kind of a state uh to inhabit and uh repercussions the highs and the lows are so extreme like any other kind of life would start to seem kind of colorless you know Mm. uh I think that kind of like if one of your main issues with life is like I I don't mind what happens I just don't want to be bored you know yeah. <laughs> I don't know that money I, you know it's nice to have a bit but I just, I just don't want to be bored you know like I don't want to like walk through this thing once and be fucking bored you know what I mean I want I want all of it you know uh, I think that's a kind of that's a modern condition you know. I think your brain's been pumped full of every desire. You know, you can you can go everywhere, you can see everything, sleep with everyone. You know, it's like yeah, all of the above. You know, um, and I think you know in all of that, there's a kind of yeah, there's a kind of a miraculous kind of energy at the core of it. You know, and there's that fraternity with the other people and with the audience. You know, um, so when I yeah, I think when I read about Jerry Lee and that kind of thing. And this is part of the reason I don't read music books is because you're always comparing your time to their time. And right. it's always a fucking disappointment, you know? <laughs> it only gets more it, it only gets more disappointing. It's like, you know, kids in bands when they read my book in ten years' time, they'll just they'll be disappointed because the world they live in then will will be even more boring than the one I live in now, you know. And it's been going that way for as long as this thing has been going, you know. It was only like the hellfire period where it was really like, you know, really going on, you know. There's, there's the first, well, it wasn't necessarily the first time there was an appetite for this kind of spirit as you're talking about, because, you know, there'd been elements in, I guess, other cultures and other forms of music in the past, there'd been this fervor, but in the form that it took then in, you know, very early rock and roll, you know, he made his first demo in 1952, I, you know, I read in the book, you know, it's, which is kind of nuts. It's kind of absolutely the roots of that time. Um, I, I wanted to mention the epigraph, which is just sums up what you're saying. There is laid in the very nature of carnal men a foundation for the torments of hell. Um, and then Jerry Lee, after that, writes, "I'm dragging the audience to hell with me." <laughs> and um, yeah, but I thought you know when you have an experience at a gig, especially when you're young with an artist that means a lot to you, and it absolutely just chimes with you somehow, and you're in the moment. There is that kind of incredible rush and energy you know you don't have to be on 101 different things either it's just this charge there yeah, yeah. and he keeps going going through it you know the book begins with this brilliant elvis dreaming <laughs> and being woken up by the killer yeah, at his yeah, gates yeah. you know so yeah it's jerry lee trying to break into gracelands and this amazing kind of um you know kind of, um, <laughs> relationship between the two of them um you know, um, in my favorite bit, in my favorite bit in the book, I think. I wish I, if I had my copy, I'd have noted it down. But there's a bit when uh, when Elvis dies, you know. Yeah. And there's an interviewer, and they ask him, you know, what he made. He said, "Well, fuck Elvis, you know. All he did was do a lot of smack. I couldn't get my hands on anyway, you know. He can slide up a greasy pole, you know. And so can my fans if they don't buy my fucking record. Actually, that last <laughs> bit, I'm sorry, it's, it's it's just like, what is this guy on? You know what I mean? But this obsession with Elvis, you know, yeah. this fucking fixation because he's like he's done him over you know yeah you can really see you must have just carried it with him the whole time you know like this fucking guy you know he's getting all my kudos <laughs> you know um i used to feel a bit like that about 
Jason from Sleep of March. You know, I was kind of obsessed <laughs> for a bit. I was like, fucking shouty guy from fuck this guy. You know, like I imagine with that with with Jerry Lee, it was like that, but 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 on such a huge scale. You know, <laughs> given given the monumentality of those figures, but like, I mean, that, that's like, did, you, did you did you ever read that? Um, you know that un, unfinished Mark Fisher book, Acid Communism. I read some of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit in there, I think it was in there, where he talks about like the Beatles and like the implications of that in a way that's really elegant that I can't really I can't really recall exactly. But it's to do with like everything aligning at that point, you know, like radio and everything like that particular kind of cultural moment, like uh, the capacity of it, you know, like people were able to sort of like dream collectively for the first time yeah, or something yeah. you know uh and i think jerry's like jerry lee elvis they're kind of like in that space you know where it really is like the birth of of, of all kinds of stuff you know there's the fact that these ideas are completely mainstream as well you know they're in mainstream you know youth culture um you know they're being resisted against by you know the authorities and there's you know moral panics and all this kind of stuff but it's uh you know, even the Beatles in their yeah. early days, you know, the Beatles didn't, you know, what they were doing was, you know, they weren't, you know, kicking a piano with their heel like Jerry Lee Lewis, but they were doing something that was reacted against by, you know, authority figures. But, you know, they, they're very quick, you know, progression to do different things, you know, had that same sort of energy about it. Yeah, def- yeah, it's a, the idea of dreaming collectively, as you say, is a yeah, really powerful way of thinking about it. And, you know, so soon after war, so soon after... Yeah, it was like, yeah, you had this... I, that often often really baffles me, you know, like you say, like, especially with that, like the Beatles, for, for instance, it's kind of like, I always think, when was the first Beatles single? Like, 63, 64, like, uh, something Late 62, like that. yeah. Late 62, you know, so it was less... So it, you know what I mean? It was like, it was less than 20 years after Auschwitz, Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like now that I've been now that I'm the ripe old age of thirty six, and I think fuck, like twenty years ago, yeah, that was when I went to see Dylan. You know, it's like that's really yeah. not a long time ago. You know, I tell and you the what, world has changed. I'm forty five. It gets worse. That <laughs> you, you can think, oh my yeah, god, <laughs> yeah, it gets worse. But the older I get, the more I think it's so weird that like like Love Me Do and like Auschwitz were that like historically yeah. those moments. You know. Because it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem plausible that just down the road in Germany or whatever, like it's such an extreme. So I guess yeah, there's that reaction to that, you know. Mm-hmm. There's that thing in the what's it, Mother Amuses on the new Dylan album where he talks about that a little bit, you know, like they paved the way for Presley to sing, you know, like Eisenhower and all these other kind of big war bods or whatever. And I guess that's true, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing we have this great kind of collective dreaming or whatever, you know, to look at it positively. Yeah. I think. And you sort of have this spirit in this book. You have this mixture of, um, you know, fiction and fact and, you know, this inventing of dialogue. Um, there's a brilliant bit um, where um, Jerry Lee Lewis plays a um, whole lot of shaking going on for the first time um, um, mm. in a small club in Blytheville, um, um, Arkansas. And just, you know, these lines are. You know, they're kind of so over, you know, overwrought, but in a brilliant way. He saw those girls quivering and wet, following him to hell with their painted mouths open. Fame lifted her skirt for the final <laughs> wild sun. <laughs> and, um, but you have that. And then you also have like, 
you know, they're just piling through the mess of his life. Um, you have guess some really, you know, affecting bits too in the mix, you know, the death of his three-year-old son who drowns, you know, which is when yeah. he's away on tour. And um, so, you know, this is the times when he's struggling for success and you get these, you know, this background of, of, you know, him as a human being in the mixture of him as this sort of extreme figure, which is, you know, which it made me think of, you know, yeah. the, the you know, the writing of your book and these kind of, you know, these extreme situations and personalities. But it's a, I think it's a, it's the poetry of it. Like that, like that passage you've just, you've just read out, you know, it's like, uh, that's the thing. He really makes it sing, you know, like it's just the, 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 the amount of o- o- ornament, you know, and the high seriousness of it, you know, yeah. I just think when you take a medium like rock and roll, which is inherently lowbrow and absurd, and then you mix it with that real analytical kind of like poetic kind of like a view. It's always kind of, it's always a good thing. Yeah. You know, and a nice juxtaposition. And you have the mix of, you know, how his singing started out when he was young. He was singing with um, the children of black chair croppers who lived nearby. You've got um, the crime yeah. in his family. You've got kind of the, you know, televangelist cousin. You've got all these, you know, amazing characters kind of in you know not even in the background they're kind of just part of uh you know the kind of the rhythms of you know his oh, everyday his life yeah exactly um you know it ends with a you know almost biblical scene of despair really you know he's not you know he's out of luck and he's down a hill and as you said earlier you know this is the early 80s this came out and he lived for another you know god yeah 40, 40 years, years. <laughs> which is insane how, how, how... How, yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because he just lives like there's no, you know, like I, I'm so conscious of death, like already, you know what I mean? I'm like 36, I'm just every other thought, I'm like, it's going to be over soon, it's going to be over soon. But he's like just fucking, he's just powering through, you know? And how how old was he when he died? He, what, 100? 80, he was 87, so he wasn't that old. You know, he could have his kind of nuts. And um, and so some that came, like Little Richard only died a couple of years ago as well. And when you hear these things, you just think, Right, this is the person from the beginning of, you know, all this, you know, of, you know, yeah. rock and roll and that kind of pop music as we know it. It's, uh, yeah, and they, you know, both men lived quite a life, you know, different men, but, you know, Little Richard lived his life in his own terms in very different ways. Yeah, the old, the old, the old school, the old guard, the original guard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so where yeah. are you going to be at 87? What are you going to be doing? Are you going to be, uh, you know, trying to re- resurrect your career? <laughs> I would say I would I would settle for fifty-seven. You know what I mean? I just think I would I, I, at some I, at some point I think my body will just cave and give way. But if I make it to eight, eighty-seven, I think uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I, as long as I can just keep uh, making things, you know, yeah. Like I don't mind as long as I've got something to distract me from like the void, you know. <laughs> like I think I think so long as that 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 impulse stays with me that's the thing you know what i mean i don't mind as long as i'm up to something making something or whatever you know i think that's the thing you know if you ever lose that kind of like whether it doesn't matter whether it's songs or books or paintings or whatever you know just as long as you're kind of at something you know like my girlfriend's kind of trying to get me to have a a family but i don't don't know about that Tell you what, it keeps it makes you creative in different ways. I tell you, it makes you kind of uh, 
Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm the woman that. who's after this podcast has got to go and do the school run, you know. But you know, I just you just have to squeeze it all in. And they, 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 they... did it make did it make you did it make you more create did it make you kind of like because I have this thing where I procrastinate and procrastinate and I'll go months without really fucking writing anything like <laughs> because you know whatever. But some people I think they say they have kids and then it's like uh, you know you have two hours and that's it, right? So you fucking do the thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. You've got those two hours, and that's you're going to write your thing in two hours because there aren't going to, there's not going to be another two hours. Like I feel like maybe that would work well for me. That kind of yeah. boundary, did, you know. Like. I didn't realize we we're going to be doing parenting advice on this. I, I quite like this um, huge uh, parenting class with Leas. We've um, gone off. We've gone right off. We've gone right. We've <laughs> yeah, gone, we've t- gone right off. <laughs> one, yeah, it makes you it makes it makes you realize what you want to do. It really sharpens that, which is actually amazing. Um, it makes you realize we oh, don't yeah. want to do. It makes me say no to things more. Um, it, you know, kids can be really annoying and uh, drive you bu- drive you bonkers, but they can also be absolutely hilarious and very funny. I have a, uh, a nearly nine year old who wakes up every morning and puts Fight for Your Right to Party on to wake himself up, <laughs> which is Fair quite enough, weird. You know. um, but um, yeah, he also likes loads of you know Ed Sheeran and God knows what as well. But yeah, he's he's he also likes yeah. Doctor Feelgood and uh, you know and uh, yeah, and eighties uh, eighties yeah. rap. So there we are. Yeah, no, it's uh. I I would I, I'd recommend it. I tell you, you could have um, t- give give me a shot in ten years when you've you know made you know maybe oh, yeah. gone that way and we'll have a, we'll we'll do another podcast. <laughs> All right, yeah, we'll do a separate series. You know what I mean? I'll do a, I'll do I'll do I'll do a series on 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 parenting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I never thought a Jerry Lee Lewis uh, podcast would end up with a uh, us talking about parenting because he wasn't the best example of that. Not read Hellfire for parenting. Yeah, uh, read, a, read, a, read it for every other bit. Uh, but um, yeah, thanks very much, yeah. Julius, for bringing Hellfire. So now, at the end of every episode, I ask for a few more book recommendations. You've obviously mentioned a few already. Have you got any others you want to um, mention today? Uh, do they need to be music books? You can mention others if you want to. Because um, I, was, I, was, I was thinking, like, I just... Like I really just don't read. I don't ever read anything about 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 music, really. You know, I was thinking this was quite. It's quite odd. I seldom pick pick up another another music book. I was kind of struggling with this one. So I, I guess I just go for things that aren't music related. If that feels like a cop out, I mean, I could try and think off the top of my head something I've read lately about music. But no, pick some others. That's fine. Just not. There. I'll just tell you what I've been. What I've been reading, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, what I've been reading lately um, was uh, Michael Bracewell, the unfinished business. Oh yeah, White Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. Hello, a, a colleague. A colleague uh, of ours, yeah. <laughs> a colleague of ours, uh, <laughs> uh, which I thought was uh, was amazing and was really, really, really just elegantly done. You know, if you really like beautiful chiseled sentences, you know. An easier man, uh, and I thought also Annie Dillard uh, teaching a stone to talk is another thing. I don't know if you've ever read that. No. Those are some of the most mind-boggling essays. You know, she's kind of a nature writer in a way. Uh, it doesn't really do her justice uh, to call her that. But that's kind of like um, what she talks. She talks about like uh, you know nature being like this kind of like orgy of intricacies you know and she gets into the kind of minute like like the cosmos you know in a in a little fucking speck on the it's all just like massive to, to micro to macro and back again kind of thing 
but done with like real class, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like really psychedelic, actually. I don't know if you've ever done DMT or, or, or lots of acid or something. And, you know, you get fractals and all that kind of shit. It's a bit like that, but without yeah. having to terrify yourself with lots of drugs. <laughs> Just read about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Good. Thank you very much. Um, and do you have a book song for us? This is, this is our list of um, songs inspired by books, authors, poems that I get everybody to recommend for us at the end of the podcast. Uh, you know what? This is this was another one. I don't know whether it's because I'm so stressed with what's been going on in the studio recently where I haven't been able to think straight. But I was like, for the last two days, I was like, book song. I just fucking I listen to so many, so many, so many books. I just can't think. So I Googled this. <laughs> I Googled this and I, found, <laughs> and I found like a whole list and I was like, oh, of course, you know, and I boiled it down to two and I was kind of like, it's going to be like Killing an Arab. Oh, yeah, The Cure, yeah. Or, or The Cure uh, or Venus in Furs, I guess. Oh, fantastic. It's between those, It's a toss-up between those two, you know. It depends on the mood, really. Well, we've had, know? I'll probably put Killing an Arab on just because Venus in Furs was recommended to us by Cozy Fanny Tutti in this series as well. But that can double right, up from right. you. But yeah, um, yeah, Killing an Arab, I always remember hearing that and uh, doing French at, uh, French A-level at school and being like, oh my gosh, you can make write a song. You know, based on a book. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. It is a good one. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Liz, for coming on Songbook today. Um, sorry, we've got to, you know, let you go and uh, face Part the uh, insanity upstairs. The music, the music, literally. The music. <laughs> literally, um, the music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, well, thanks for having us on, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your uh, your afternoon. Thank you very much, um, and thanks to everybody for listening. Um, as I said at the start of the episode, ten thousand apologies. Is out now on paperback. Got to get a plug in. It's great. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Let us know what you enjoyed, what you're reading, and we'll see you next week. This has been a White Rabbit and Carmelite Studios production, presented and written by Jude Rogers, music by David Holmes, episode producer Jake Alderson, editor Dan Jones. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.